Hello, this is Josh Banner with the Invitation Podcast. I gotta say that I'm having a real good time. I'm having a blast doing these interviews with my friends and sharing them with you. And the response to them has been strong. I'm getting lots of encouraging feedback. Thanks especially to those of you who have emailed with questions. And for anyone else, please don't be shy. This is an outreach of spiritual formation and prayer that is for you. So please feel free to email your thoughts and questions. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to any of the first three retreats, I encourage you to give them a try. In these interviews, I'm having prayerful conversations with Joseph Bird, Brad Kilman, and now in this episode, I talk with the author Sharon Garlow-Brown. And while they are prayerful conversations, we are still merely talking about prayer. And the sole purpose of the Invitation Podcast is to inspire and to encourage you to the actual practice of prayer. You know, at the turning of a new year, many people like to pick up a theme or a word that will describe the year either ahead or behind them. The word I've been using this past year to describe my experience of God is, and if you know me, seemingly uncharacteristic of me, because the word that I've been using is fun. And I want you to know that the practice of spiritual direction, my time with the men in prison, creating and developing this podcast, and even my continuing studies at Fuller Seminary, all of these things are delightful. They are fun. And in this conversation, in this episode with Sharon Brown, I believe you can hear some of the same kind of laughter and goodness that you heard in the two previous conversations with Joseph and Brad. Sharon and I are just getting to know each other in this last year. But when I listen to this conversation with her, I hear a sense of joy and gladness, the gladness of kindred spirits. Sharon and I both describe ourselves as Protestants, and yet we both chose the wild and woolly path outside of that tradition to be trained as spiritual directors with the sisters at the Dominican Center in Grand Rapids. And yet even with our good training in contemplative prayer and Ignatian spirituality, Sharon and I each in our own ways are still called to the Protestant church to serve and to grow in the soil that we are planted in. I'm glad to know Sharon and to recommend her to you because her books are stories about four women on the scary, bewildering, and yet holy and delightful path of inner transformation and love for God. Meg has recently become a widow and is trying to understand how to live in a big empty house. Hannah is the competent pastor who is way too busy helping others, but not very careful and gentle with herself. Mara struggles with her marriage and being a stay-at-home mom She wonders if she has anything special or of unique worth. And Carissa is the overconfident graduate student who doesn't know how to trust her heart. And while everything in her young marriage, her home and future seem perfect, she begins to notice that something is missing. And in these stories, Sharon gets it right. She knows that we need to use our imaginations to nurture a vision for who and what we can become in Jesus Christ. Many of us are stuck in our faith because we can't understand how much more of God there is to access. We don't have a vision for spiritual growth that changes our behaviors and our loves. And through the power of fiction, Sharon offers a detailed and intimate sense of what the slow journey of transformation looks like. And now, to you men who are listening, I dare you to read this book, or maybe to read it out loud with your wives. And for those unmarried dudes who want to get married someday, here is your chance to impress a certain special lady someday by letting her know that you too can read outside of your masculine tradition. 
that last bit was a joke. In our conversation, Sharon and I talk about her journey into spiritual direction. We talk about Ignatius, of course, the pitfalls of the missional church. We discuss Eugene Peterson. I talk a little bit more about Dallas Willard. She brings up Henry Nowen and Richard Foster. And then there's a delightful moment when Sharon recites a bit of poetry by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. We talk about silence, Lexio Divina, holding the tensions on one end between contemplative and mystical spiritualities, and on the other end, the main and the plain core orthodox truths of the church. Sharon then gives us a glimpse of her own prayer practices with journaling and praying scripture so that, as she says, scripture will pursue you. And then we finish discussing busyness and Sabbath keeping. Stick around for the end of the episode for some updates, especially on the church leaders contemplative retreat in February that Sharon is co-leading with me. And here is the beginning of our conversation. Sharon and I are talking in a day retreat room at the Dominican Center last November. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about how you came up with the idea of doing Sensible Shoes? Yeah, well, it all started back in September of 2008, and my husband and I were co-pastoring Redeemer Covenant Church down in Caledonia, Dutton area, and I invited women from the church to join me on a Monday morning for two, two and a half hours to explore spiritual practices that had been really life-giving for me. And we started to meet together, and it was very clear in the very first um, meeting that the women had come very hungry for authentic community. Mm. They wanted a place where there weren't masks, mm. where there weren't the, um, the metaphorical fig leaves, so to speak, mm. the everything's great mm. um, sort of approach to spirituality. They wanted a place where they could be known mm-hmm. and where they could know. And so that was our starting place, which was a wonderful starting place mm-hmm. because it meant that the women were willing to go deep with one another um, very quickly. Mm. We had been together for um, a couple of weeks, and um, it became clear that they were willing to name sorrows. Some of them had never been spoken out loud before. They began to moving, uh, moving into naming of regrets, um, guilt, shame, all the things that had bound and kept captive. And the healing and transformation that was happening by the power of the Spirit was absolutely breathtaking. And by November of that year, just I had a sense that there was a story to tell about the power of the Spirit um, to change lives as we walked together in community, and particularly as we practiced spiritual disciplines together, different ways of, of prayer, of uh, meditating on Scripture, contemplative way. And then began praying about what was the best way to tell that story. Mm-hmm and sensed that um, fiction would be a good way to introduce people to that way. There were so many good nonfiction resources already available. I didn't feel like I had anything to contribute that was significant to those, Um, but began to to ponder what would it be like to imagine four different characters, introduce them to the same kinds of spiritual practices that we were exploring together, Mm. and where might God take them. So that's how Sensible Shoes started. The name came from the group as well. We had been together a couple of weeks and had finished a time of quiet prayer. And one of the women looked around the circle and she said, everyone here is wearing really cute but sensible shoes. And she didn't say it to be profound. Uh, It was a fashion statement. But as soon as she said the words, we all sensed the metaphor with that, that if we're going to walk with God and walk together, put on sturdy shoes. Um, the, the journey into the, the depths of the inner life mm. is breathtakingly beautiful and also highly unpredictable. Mm. So that was that was where it started. So that was which year? That was in 2008, 2008. September. And yeah. When did you finish your certification here at the Dominican Center? 
it was that was happening at the same time. So I had started um, the program in 2008, okay, and then finished it in would have been the spring of 2011. Okay. So yeah, Sensible Shoes was actually done before I had finished okay. my certification training as a spiritual director. So that's fantastic. So then you had this tangible ministry uh, movement of the spirit to bring to you bring with you to the Dominican Center as you're reading all these mystics and spiritual masters. So could you uh, speak to that? What did that look like? How did, how did ministry inform your training as a spiritual director? You know, it was interesting when I, when I began the training here, there were so many things that I had understood at an intuitive level, but mm-hmm. didn't yet have language for. Okay. And when I started training as a spiritual director, I had already been in pastoral ministry for, okay. oh, I don't know, 15 okay. years probably, okay. and knew the posture of listening. But for me personally, it had been such a significant paradigm shift when I began meeting with a spiritual director out of the driven, active, um, striving life into the posture of what did it mean to rest in the love of God. Mm -hmm. And that was life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. And that posture began to impact my pastoral ministry significantly. Wow. So, So then you've been in ministry for a while. You discovered spiritual direction when during that journey? 2006, okay. maybe. Yeah, so it'd been about 15 years in ministry at that point. And that was somebody around here in Grand Rapids? Yes, yeah, here in Grand Rapids. And how did you discover that person? Did, had you already known about spiritual direction and just thought, oh, I'll finally give the, that a try? Yeah, it goes way back, actually, into my last year in seminary. Um, my husband and I were students at Princeton Theological Seminary at New Jersey. Yeah. And my very last semester, just before graduation, I had a conversation with um, a theology professor about a paper that I had written. And he said to me, Sharon, have you ever heard of spiritual direction? And I had not. And he must have spent some time describing it to me. And I would have filed the term away, but I was 24 years old and really didn't know what that meant (laughs) and just went into active driven ministry. Yeah. But it returned to me um, in 2006, and I honestly can't remember the circumstances, apart from having at that point thought for a number of years, I really need to find a spiritual director. And then the time was right. It it all just kind of came together. Yeah, For me, it was really, really bizarre because I'd read Thomas Merton's book on meditation and spiritual direction. Okay. Right after college, Hmm. the summer after that. And so I'd read through the whole thing. And then, you know, that was 98, 97, uh, yes, su- summer 97. And then, you know, it was a good six years ago, seven years ago, when I was introduced to direction again. And I, I was like, I've heard of this before. And I went and found that book. Yeah. And it has all this stuff underlined <laughs> as if I knew what it was about. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, for anyone that's listening, I think that's, the, the part of the invitation, the spirit of what I'm trying to communicate is that these early things that happen, the spirit can speak to you and give you just vocabulary, just words. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that's a great example of what the spiritual life is. We then open ourselves and then who knows where God, you might end up writing, you're on your fourth book, right? Yes. So yeah, you might, you might yeah. end up writing a four, four right, book. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> or with me, starting a podcast. Yes, And exactly. going into prisons, um, it's a, it's a journey. So, so, um, so you went to Princeton. That's where you did both undergrad and your divinity degree. Actually, my undergrad was at Smith college okay. in Massachusetts okay. and then went straight on okay. to seminary. Yeah. Okay. For an MDiv. And I was one of the babies there. Went okay. straight out of college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strengths and weaknesses to oh, that. Oh, I wish I could go back, <laughs> do it all over again now. Right, right. Yeah. They say, uh, what is it that youth is wasted on the youth yeah. or education? I thought as a professor and middle school and high school teacher. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, so, so then uh, is there any sense here that you did a literature in your undergrad since you, I did. Okay. I was an English lit major. Right. Yes. Some yeah. creative writing there. Actually, this is the funny part. No, Okay. never had any training in fiction writing, which was why it was such a, a beautiful thing that God asked me to do it because I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And because I had no idea what I was doing, I didn't know I was breaking all the rules oh. for writing fiction, oh. which all I knew was yeah. that I was called to blend yeah. the spiritual formation content yeah. with fictional characters. I didn't right. know you weren't supposed to do such things. So <laughs> it, uh, it worked out beautifully. Yeah. Well, since my wife is a creative writing instructor, yeah. 
um, I think she would give you a big pass on that in a sense that what's happening right now with, with fiction, multi-genre uh, in, you know, where books are intertwining poetry, mm. memoir, fiction, yeah. um, different voices. It's, we're in the postmodern era. Right. You can right. do what you yes. want. <laughs> Tell a good story, a true story. Uh-huh. Yeah. So did you, what, what did that look like? Uh, I'm, I'm speaking now for those creative writing people out there that might have questions. Did you pass off early manuscripts and workshop them and get feedback? Or I did not. Okay. I had um, the, the Monday morning group um, was praying for me as I wrote. Uh-huh. Uh, they were getting early drafts of scenes okay. uh, to pray over. Wow. But when it came time to to finish it, I, mean, my, I had a friend who was my editor. My mom was my proofreader. My sister was a reader for me and then um, felt very directly guided into self-publishing. So that was wow. the first story for wow. Sensible Shoes as it was one of the early titles with okay. Westbow Press, self-publishing arm of Thomas Nelson. Okay. And then um, two years later, it was picked up by University Press who okay. caught the vision uh-huh. for what it could do in terms of introducing people wow. to the contemplative life. Wow. Wow. And that's, that's again, another thing I want to say to anyone that's listening is that if we're faithful with what we can do, yes, and we don't worry so much about what we, we think should happen. Um, I remember uh, at, at Calvin, my very first experience at the Festival of Faith and Writing. You've mm, been yes, to that? Yes, I've been, yeah. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah, my, I think that would have been 2000. It was, it was insane. Maya Angelou, Chaim Potok, oh. um, Rabbi Kushner, Walt Wangren. Um, were you at that one? No. Okay. Uh-uh. Uh, and, and Lamott as well. Wow. Um, this is my first for anybody that's listening that cares about when they used to have the music tied in. My first exposure to Pedro the Lion, which mm. is now David Bazan. I do have some listeners that, that care about that stuff. Yes. Um, so, so, so yeah, um, it was a writer that was, was, was talking about, he finally got published, but he said that he'd, uh, he'd get up at the morning at some awful hour, five o'clock or something mm-hmm. like that, and write until he'd make breakfast for his children. And then he'd go to his, his job, and he'd written uh, several manuscripts and sent out over 40, 50 times until he had anything picked up. Wow. And somebody said, um, how did you pull that off? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you keep going? And he said, this is, again, a word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. God did not call me to be successful. God called me to be faithful. Amen. So that's what I hear in your story. You had this sense of the spirit. You're doing this in ministry. You start doing what you can. You go ahead and risk with some self-publishing. And then, so can you talk a little bit more about that faith faith journey for yourself of learning and discovering what in the world is happening with these books? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's always been about listening. Um, the only thing I've known how to do when I didn't know how to write fiction, mm-hmm. I knew how to pray. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I started writing is I just said to the Lord, um, can you inspire, uh, just let me know one thing that happened to each character when they were little so that I can mm-hmm. understand where they're stuck mm-hmm. and grieving and hurt as an adult. Um, and it came from there. So it was mm-hmm. a posture of listening with the writing. It was a posture of listening to, um, how God would, um, have it be published. And then of course there were all sorts of people that had well-meaning advice about what I then needed to do Mm -hmm. in terms of marketing and publicity. Mm. And I just sensed Josh, as I prayed that the Lord was not in any of that. And so my only marketing strategy was prayer and that's what I did. God, you're going to have to get it into the hands of the Mm. people that you've prepared to receive it. And Mm. I'm not going to push it any harder than that. I'm just going to trust you to do it Mm. now as, as God Um, is constantly surprising us. One of the things that he did do, which was remarkably ridiculous, is that just after InterVarsity Press acquired the book and they were getting ready to release it in 2013, Mm -hmm. we shut down the Westbow Press edition to make way for the IVP edition. And right after shutting down the self-published version, I did get a phone call from someone I did not know living in Florida. And she said, I've been sharing your book with so many friends. I was walking with one of them last night who had just finished reading it. She loved it and she wants to feature it on national television on Monday. 
And I said, well, who's your friend? And she said, Kathy Lee Gifford from the Today Show. <laughs> and that was the self-published version that uh-huh. had managed to wing its way from yeah. person to person to person into Kathy Lee's hands. Right. At that point, I said to her friend, well, that book doesn't exist anymore. Uh-huh. And the new one's not coming out for another six weeks. Wow. So she said, all right, you call your publisher, see if they'll rush. I'll call Kathy Lee, see if she'll slow down. And as God weaves together stories um, in remarkable ways on the day that the book had gone live in bookstores and on Amazon, Kathy Lee was holding it up on the Today Show as her favorite thing. And I thought, you know, okay, my marketing strategy was prayer. I mean, I just, wow. how else? You, you can't wow. script these things. You can't, you certainly can't control and manage them. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's really encouraging to me personally. I'm in a journey right now where God is taking me into another place, most, yes. mostly in prisons. Mm. And that's, uh, I was just in a prison on Monday, the Handlin facility with Calvin College instructor. And I had two hours or so to present on spiritual direction to 20 men who are in a Bachelor of Arts degree program. I love it. In Christian leadership. Mm. And I've been teaching for my whole adult life, and I don't think I've ever had a more eager and hungry and engaged group of students. Yes. It was, uh, it was just, it was glorious. So Mm -hmm. the point is, um, I'm stepping out personally and saying, okay, God, I want to do more of this. How am I going to pay for all this? Yes. Right. (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, this is very timely for me personally. So, so yeah, that question, um, how do we market Mm-hmm. spirituality and so I can think of uh, somebody like in my position at Harder Wyke who's uh, working across different uh, con- well we call them uh, communities on, in one congregation um, trying to, to to attract people into a deeper life with God yes and a lot of Christians are thinking well you know I grew up in the church mm-hmm. I go to I go to church I even been on a mission trip or two like what more do I you want me to read another book like yeah. So, so you're saying that in the midst of that, the spirit has given you a vision for how to help people access mm-hmm. a deeper life. And the only way, this is gorgeous, you know, the, the only way to go deeper with so-called marketing yeah. is more of God through that's, prayer. Yes. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the only way I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I was at Baker Bookhouse um, for the launch of, of the third book a couple weeks ago and the fiction buyer who's been a wonderful partner and encourager in, in the journey um, introduced me and, and she introduced me by saying, I always tell people that Sharon Brown did everything absolutely wrong <laughs> and God worked it all out. Um, I mean, even down Josh to oh, the, wow. I was at the festival of faith and writing in 2012 yeah. and, um, my husband came over to meet me for lunch and he said, um, InterVarsity press is here. Yeah. And I said, I know. And he said, well, you should go and talk with them. And I said, Jack, they don't publish fiction. Yeah. He said, I know you should still go talk with them. And I had been saying for two years wistfully, oh, if only if only University Press published fiction, because I loved their spiritual mm-hmm. formation line and some of my favorite authors and books. Yeah. But they didn't. And so I sat in on this um, this meeting and I heard the acquisitions editors say half a dozen times, we do not publish fiction. And wow. every time she said it, I sensed God saying, yeah, you're going to talk to her. And I thought, well, <laughs> wait, I'm the, I'm the little girl who wouldn't knock on a door to sell Girl Scout cookies if I thought I was yeah. going to impose or get a oh no. Oh my gosh. So to go up yeah. and, and speak to her afterwards and say, I know you don't publish fiction, but. Yeah. Um, and then I, I guess continuing to kind of brag on, on God and what he's able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she, after she heard my first ever kind of bumbling pitch about the, this book that incorporated teaching on spiritual disciplines. She handed me her business card and she said, okay, you know, go ahead, send it to me. (laughs) So I emailed her when I got home and things like, you know, am I supposed to send the whole thing to you or just a couple sample chapters? Got an out of office reply. And then the following week she wrote and she said, providentially, after I left you in Grand Rapids, I was at another conference and a woman Um, that she knew came to her and said, Cindy, have you heard of a book called Sensible Shoes? And she said, I'm really paying attention now. This might be the Holy Spirit um, putting something together. Wow. So she said, send me the whole manuscript. I'll read it on an airplane. I'm I'm heading out to a Renovare conference. And um, she finished the conference and she called and she said, editorials already said yes to this. Wow. We don't know what marketing will say because we don't publish fiction. I said, I I know you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I know you don't. But this is, they're my ministry partners. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, wow. So, so can you speak to your, as a, as a spiritual direction question, Yeah. <laughs> your inner experience of this movement of mm-hmm. sensing, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then to go in here, no, no, we don't publish mm-hmm. that. We don't do that. And, but yet to still have a sense that there's possibilities here. What was happening inside of you? Yeah. What a great question. I mean, the role of community was huge. Mm -hmm. It was my husband who was saying, you need to go. Mm -hmm. It was a couple of friends who I grabbed at the conference and said, please come with me. Mm -hmm. And they were in prayer as I went forward. I do remember, remember that part, but there was just a sense of, um, if anything's going to happen with this, it's going to be because God Mm -hmm. does it. And all I can do is take the next step that I believe to be faithful Mm -hmm and then leave the rest mm-hmm. up to him. Mm-hmm. So I think more than anything, that was what was happening. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. I'm thinking of Ignatius. Uh, so much of my training now through Fuller is, is uh, definitely, in, and in the practicum here at the Dominican sure. Center, is Ignatian, and Ignatius just encourages us to pay attention to mm-hmm. our desires. Yes. And so you're saying you have a desire for these relationships, there's love there, there's these desires that are moving into a ministry, and, and you're embracing that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so the, the irony of all this is just, again, uh, I've been uh, running around, uh, even just contacting you the last time to sit down for coffee. Uh, it's it's um, the, all this, what some people would call networking, and this is really not me. I, and I had to tell a group of people I was speaking with a couple weeks ago, I'm really not that enterprising of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not an entrepreneur. I'm, yeah. I'm really like, there's just all this compulsion I am having so much fun. Yes. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and so here I am yeah. with microphones in a, a, a day retreat room in the Dominican Center with Sharon yeah. Garlow Brown. Um, I would not have guessed that I would be doing this a year ago. Right. Let alone being in a prison. And uh, so, wow, um, it, is, it is just such a testimony that the Spirit, uh, and again, to add more language, the first uh, conversation I had was with... Uh, my director, Joseph Bird, yeah. and we ended up talking a bit about being contemplatives in action. Mm. So if there is this, this Jesuit idea, um, if there's this thing happening inside of you, that it eventually compels you to do something with that. It's impossible. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if this is maybe a little off track, but I'd, I'd be interested to see if you have thoughts about this. The whole growth of what we call the missional church, mm in the evangelical world especially, um, in some ways frustrates me mm. some. Um, the, the language is that mission is the mother of the church. Mm. And I want to say, no, I think the love of God, yes. <laughs> that prayer is the mother of the church. And so I think the pushback to me would be, well, you know, Josh, there's a lot of people praying in the church mm-hmm. and there's no mission. Mm. And I would say, Maybe the formation hasn't gone deep enough. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they need to read Sharon's book. <laughs> and I'm serious to, mm-hmm. to to and and this is what a lot of direction is is have a new vista for where we can go with God. Mm-hmm. And because if 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 a if a Christian had a deeper, broader, wider, more profound understanding of what can happen in their heart with God, yes, and they go there, yes, then it's going to pour out of them in mission somehow. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think whenever we're talking about spiritual disciplines, um, we have to talk about them as ways to practice receiving the love of God mm-hmm. and then abiding in the mm-hmm. love of God and then finally responding mm-hmm. to the love of God. Mm-hmm. You know, for so many years, Josh, I lived, um, my prayer was to be useful. Mm-hmm. And that was my particular addiction in mm-hmm. ministry because if I'm useful, then I'm important. Mm-hmm. And I, I can remember for years just wearing myself out, just wanting to be that conduit through which God was flowing to bless everyone else. Mm-hmm. And God turned the image upside down and mm-hmm. said, you know, Sharon, it's not conduit, it's reservoir. Mm-hmm. And so you drink deeply first, mm-hmm. and out of the abundance of the life you receive from me, that will flow out mm-hmm. to others. Mm-hmm. And so the, the trouble is that and it's really hard to say this out loud, but I think it has to be said is that we haven't tasted then of the abundance of God. I think that's true. And uh, Dallas Willard has been a a major um, uh, source of of my formation through the doctoral program. 
a lot of the, my instructors are um, his f- friends while he was still mm. on this earth. And uh, Dallas, I think, better than any of the Protestant uh, voices, s- just critiques and, and diagnoses the sickness. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, that the elephant in the room of the church is non-discipleship. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so I, th- I think of your books as a response to that, and mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant that you've chosen uh, the cre- creative world to help people because there's a lot of people that won't sit down and read Richard Foster's Celebration of sure. Discipline yeah. um, or Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy, or yeah. let alone <laughs> yeah. St. John of the Cross, Ascent of Mount Carmel, which is where I'd rather be. Yeah. But they will um, go on an imaginative journey yeah. and find themselves in a story. Well, and Jesus knew, mm-hmm. knows mm-hmm. the power of story. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a preacher, as a pastor for years, you're up front and you're, you're preaching your sermon. As soon as you say, let me tell you a story, the whole posture mm-hmm. of the congregation changes. Story is so invitational. It's so stealthy. Mm-hmm. And we read it differently than we read nonfiction. Mm-hmm. We read it with this posture of receptivity where we want to be led somewhere mm-hmm. we're, we're willing to be led mm-hmm. somewhere and then by the grace of god um the characters become windows mm-hmm. um, for seeing god more clearly or mirrors for seeing ourselves more clearly wow i'm sure that's your own language it sounds so much like eugene peterson uh, have you spent time with his stuff on tell it slant and no story? not a whole lot i'd no. encourage you and yeah. any listener to uh pick up sensible shoes and also to uh Look at some of Eugene Peterson's treatment mm-hmm. of, of story. Um, it's it's the core, and then you could look at Walter Bergman at uh, the the prophetic imagination. And mm-hmm. uh, it's this is uh, the tension in the church. We often come, and I like systematic theology. I like dogmatic theology, but uh, I really, really am drawn personally to the narrative theology to look at the scripture, sure, and then look at what's unfolding in the kingdom as story. Yes, and so. Um, so, um, moving on to one of my other, that was actually one question right there. Sure. That sounds, that's great. I love your questions. So um, one question. Yeah. Um, is in your journey to writing sensible shoes, getting into ministry, uh, understanding this deeper journey with God, is there a person uh, dead or alive that, or a, a group of people that have particularly inspired, this is where I'm going. This yeah. is what I want to do. Oh, there have been probably so many over the years who have spoken into my life, those words of wisdom that I may not have understood at the time. Um, but really, I, I can can credit the beginning of my relationship in spiritual direction mm. with um, the invitation to notice mm. God's presence in ways that I had never done before. And I would have said that I was a prayerful person. Sure. That was the only way I knew how to approach pastoral ministry was through prayer. But my prayer was wearing me out. Mm -hmm. You know, my prayer was all about um, my words to God. Um, And I can remember, there have been significant moments along the way, but I can remember um, a surgery that I had to have back in 2008. And um, I had been warned that that the healing process would be grueling. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be off work for eight weeks, I can at least make it productive. Mm. And what I didn't count on uh, was the Vicodin. So, you know, (laughs) by week two, week three, I'm still not able to put words together. And I remember sitting one day just kind of crying to God and a sense of God saying, Sharon, you put so much confidence in your words to me. I want to teach you the gift of silence, which Mm -hmm. my first reaction, Josh, was, um, does that count? Which Mm -hmm. immediately revealed how I was viewing prayer, that it was all about what I had to say to God in order to be fruitful and productive and accomplish things in the kingdom. And so all of that was happening while I was in spiritual direction as well, Mm -hmm. where, um, it was a radical shift again, Mm -hmm. out of this driven life and the worded life. And I love words and I love images and I, Mm -hmm. I love metaphor obviously, but, Mm -hmm. um, to also experience the gift of silence. And Mm -hmm. there were people alongside, me as I was doing that, whether they were authors like uh, Richard Foster, mm-hmm. a favorite of mine, Henry Nowen. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. The, the day mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the day I discovered him, but, sure. um, life of the beloved changed everything mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there've been mentors along the way that I've been really grateful for. Mm-hmm. But then you would say, um, 
direction is that the, was the paradigm shift that's the, where the paradigm shift the happened. most substantial so well we thank you spirit of christ for bringing sharing into contact with a good spiritual direction yeah. director amen thank and, you um, and so the language that you had there was noticing yes. she said yeah talk a little more about what that means what you're noticing mm-hmm well, it was all about realizing, again, the Ignatian way, um, that we can discover the presence of God in everything, mm-hmm. in the ordinary details mm-hmm. of our lives, that um, the bushes are always burning for mm-hmm. those who have eyes to see. There's that wonderful line from an Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem that says, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, mm-hmm. but only he with eyes to see takes off his shoes, the mm-hmm. rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Mm. And there's the invitation to spiritual direction right there. Like, I don't want to be sitting around plucking blackberries when the bush is burning with the glory of God and I'm invited to take off my Mm. shoes and worship and then invite others also Mm. um, into the presence of God. Um, So that's that's the noticing life. That's Mm. the attentive life. Can can you do that poem just one more time, a little more slowly? I'm, sure. I, I, I think folks will want to hear that and, yeah. and sink into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a stanza um, from one of her, her poems called Aurora Lee. And it's, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he with eyes to see takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Hmm. It's good stuff. Uh, We need to warm our hands on the fire of good verse. Yeah. Uh, Warm our hearts there. Um, Thank you. That's rich. And I think it's so interesting, again, uh, that the arts are woven and you're working with fiction. Your response to poetry um, my whole formation up until about six years ago was art, art, art. And mm. I would say, during that time, I would say, you know, I'm really not an art guy. Yeah. Because people want to stereotype the artsy people. I, I would want to say, I'm a, I'm a Jesus guy. Mm. It just so happens that the arts help me understand God more. Um, and then I've been in this season where it's been so much about mystical prayer, St. John of the Cross, the Ascent yeah. of Mount. And I thought, well, I'm going to set the art aside. I thought I was going to sell these microphones. Mm. And uh, I, I put them in a closet for a while. And uh, I haven't written a song in a while. I hope to do that again. But the last conversation we had that um, I have yet to, to post is with Brad Kilman, who's one of my oldest friends. He's a songwriter, worship leader. Mm. And so I, what I'm trying to say uh, is that I'm discerning this beautiful emergence of why I'm married to Susanna Childress, a yes. poet, uh, creative writing instructor, why my son Casper wakes up at 6.30 and runs downstairs and begins drawing. Oh, I Almost love it. every day. I love it. Six years old. Hmm. And um, so the creativity, the imagination, mm-hmm. uh, again, for those that aren't familiar with Ignatius, I, um, 16th century mm-hmm. um, church leader who encouraged us to understand that the Spirit can speak to us through our imaginations. Yes. And it's not that um, we're going to then go preach a sermon. Right, right. <laughs> this is not about like, or, or is this orthodox and yeah. completely, this is about your inner conversation. So that's what you're saying. The noticing yes. that your story, your imagination is on, it can be set on fire yes. with the Spirit of God. Yes, absolutely. So. And as you say, this is not Bible study. That's a separate mm-hmm. discipline and one that I am passionate about. Sure. We need to learn how to do our exegesis well and mm-hmm. faithfully. But this is about praying with imagination, mm-hmm. listening to the scriptures mm-hmm. with our imagination, mm-hmm. um, being entrusted to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is an act of faith that's mm-hmm. required saying, Lord, I need you to um, inspire my imagining, mm-hmm. my wondering, my walking with you in this text. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I, I sense from our first coffee and this conversation here, uh, I think we share some some desire that a lot of people that are on the path, the spiritual path, and when they start thinking about mysticism, mm-hmm. um, silence, uh, emptiness, uh, there seems to be a trend in my experience that, that people 
will move further away from Bible study mm. and from exegesis. Mm-hmm. Um, doctrine is, is heavy. Mm. And unfortunately, what I'm trying to say is it's not the doctrine or the, the, the dogma. Um, it's the way that we've held that. Yes. And yeah. that uh, we have not yet even begun to understand what the orthodox truths are. Maybe it is that through mysticism and prayer, we're discovering that. So can you s- speak to that tension in your own, you're now in your fourth book, you're sure. with inner varsity and you've mixed with lots of different types of Christians, I'm sure. sure. But how do you hold that tension between um, deep uh, contemplative prayer, silence, um, mystery, but yet mm-hmm. also exegesis, doctrine, the main and the plain as it were. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm holding that tension constantly. Um, I do adjunct work at a seminary, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, and um, what I'll always say to the students is, you know, one of the one of the pitfalls in ministry potentially is that we spend so much time thinking about God that we avoid being with God, <laughs> and that if our exegesis, if our um, study, if our learning is not enlarging our wonder for who God is, our love for um, God our amazement at what God has done, then we're missing an essential part. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I, I don't think that they're, they're opposite things. It's all mm-hmm. meant to, to go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're just reading, uh, from my program, Dallas Willard's, um, I think it's knowing Jesus today, uh, which on one level seems a lot more, um, philosophical and academic, but he's dissecting the, the, not dissecting, he's unpacking the distinction between what he calls knowledge and belief. Mm. And we often think that moving towards belief is this leap of faith into the oblivion of mystery. Mm. And he's arguing that, that knowledge is core, acquiring, so study, yeah. rehearsing the truths is core to our understanding of who God is. Yeah. The simple way we'd say it as worship leaders was um, we need good theology to um, inform the songs we sing and our liturgies that we, we put together because the doctrine defines the God we're, we're singing to. Absolutely. So, Our God is a revealed God. Mm-hmm. He reveals himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. You, you hit more identified with the cataphatic. I personally yeah. do, uh, in my practice, think of myself more as apophatic. So again, for listeners, cataphatic mm-hmm. would be the revealed God. Yeah. Apophatic would be the hidden, mysterious God. These are the, the two natures of God, yes. the transcendent one and the revealed one. So um, that's personally where I lean, but my background and my training is in the cataphatic and the revealed. Sure. So I've done all that work. And uh, so I'm really, again, just thankful for uh, your witness so far and what I can tell God has done and through you. Um, so that leads to uh, the third question that I have prepared for these uh, conversations is, and you mentioned silence uh, before, and is there a particular prayer practice? I, I don't, I want to caution um, the pressure uh, from you and also from listeners. I, I think there's something that Jesus encourages us to know that we go into a secret place yes. and we need to know that there are certain things we do with God that are private. And so mm-hmm. I'm not asking you mm-hmm. to uh, uh, unveil that for us, yeah. but if there is something you could share with your readers and, and these listeners that yeah. about your practice of what is giving you life these days? Yeah. There's several angles of it, um, with prayer. I think, um, one part of prayer that's always been important to me is the act of journaling. I often don't know what I'm longing to pray Mm -hmm. until I think and write it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm often startled and surprised by what emerges as I write, which I guess isn't a surprise as, as a fiction writer, but, um, so journaling is part of it. And part of that, that gift to Josh is that I have such a poor memory when it Mm. comes to my life with God. Mm. Um, apart from him supernaturally reminding me of things, which always astonish me, you know, I can be with someone in spiritual direction and I remember something they've said four years ago when Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't write things down. So Mm -hmm. there's that, but, but I can look through the pages of my journal and be so grateful that I'm recording my life with God mm. and the insights and aha moments and moments of, of deepening friendship and, and the places where he confronts me and the places where God comforts me and, and that I have a record of that that I can review. And that, mm-hmm. that's a prayer practice, too. Um, it's just reviewing the faithfulness of God mm. um, to me and, mm-hmm. and to the ones that I'm privileged to walk alongside. 
So that's part of it. Can yeah. I ask you, so is yeah. that uh, the, the gift of that mostly in looking back at it later, or is it also in the moment of writing it? It's definitely both? in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then the invitation to be able to look back. So mm-hmm. I have my, uh, my shelves of journals mm-hmm. and every once in a while I will pull one out and just say, you know, mm-hmm. where, where was I in 2008, you mm-hmm. know, as I was starting yeah. with spiritual direction, what was going on in my uh, life uh. back then? Um, so yeah, but it, it really, it's a, it's a way of, of being attentive mm-hmm. to God in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing helps me to do that. Um, reading scripture prayerfully, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I grew up kind of with the, with the mindset that you just, you go through the motions of, you, you know, you, you speed read through scripture or you, you look for the application point or, um, certainly when I started seminary, there were so many good, um, teachers that were, f- uh, modeling how to do exegesis well. Um, but I didn't know how to pray scripture. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to pray with scripture. I didn't know how to chew and savor scripture. The word of God was not my delight. Mm-hmm. It was my chore. Mm-hmm. And so again, beginning with, um, my introduction to spiritual direction and different ways of prayerfully savoring scripture, um, scripture pursues me in a way that it didn't mm-hmm. used to before. And that's because I'm taking time to sit with small passages and mm-hmm. listen for particular words or phrases that are mm-hmm. inviting um, me to ponder. And um, yeah, so it does, it pursues me. That's, that's mm-hmm. very, very life-giving mm-hmm. to me. That's a, that's a fascinating and encouraging way to say it. Scripture pursues you. Yeah. So I'm hearing in that this uh, relational sense that yes. we're not just reading the ideas that when you're reading the scripture, you're engaging the, the, the truth of, and the life of a person. Yes. And so it comes back to you and it pursues you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Living mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The logos mm-hmm. word made flesh mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I mean, just as an example, something just came to mind. I was, um, praying, I was sitting with, um, the story of Mary Magdalene encountering Jesus in the garden and mistaking him for the gardener. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's just one of the most astonishingly beautiful stories that we have this personal encounter and revelation with her and the naming of her in the garden and, um, oh, her recognizing him in that moment. So I'd spent some time, some days just praying with that. And then I found myself in another resurrection text. Um, after the road, uh, the walk to Emmaus, where uh, the disciples, Cleopas and his friend, returned to Jerusalem. And the disciples are, are saying, you know, the Lord is risen. He's appeared to Simon. And that was what arrested me that morning, is that, that line, the Lord has risen and he's appeared to Simon. And I realized that I was feeling very provoked by mm. it and I wasn't sure why. So mm. I knew that was my invitation to sit, mm. to listen, to ponder, to chew, to pray. So took it to the Lord, um, what is it that is so agitating me right now? The Lord is risen. He's appeared to Simon. And I realized, having spent a week um, praying and listening to Mary's encounter with Jesus and remembering how her testimony was disregarded, and now suddenly the Lord is risen. Mm. He's appeared to Simon. Now we believe because he's appeared to Simon. And there was such anger that was Mm. rising in me. And what I realized, Josh, as I prayed is that I was in a a season of my life where I was feeling personally disregarded Mm. in some areas. And that's why the scripture Mm. was pursuing me. That's why it was provoking me. Mm. And so there was something for me to offer to God Mm -hmm. in that moment. Wow. Yeah. The practice that we've been trained in and that we, that I recommend to, to most people that want to approach scripture differently and prayer differently is Lexio Divina. Yes. And so what we're saying with that is we repeatedly return and, and slow doses. The scriptures just get inside of you and, uh, and then they just, they, they begin, they begin to speak to you in other yes. ways. It'll come back to you. Uh, just like if I'd, if I'd watched a movie a couple times, and this even happens with really good movies, you yeah. know, how you just, the next day you just, you're thinking about it. What we're doing just from the, uh, the physical, the, 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 the human, any, any time we repeat something, it's going to get inside of us. Mm. Now then imagine that we're adding to that practice of repetition, the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so the Holy Spirit joins in with 
our efforts of responding to God's grace, and yeah. then He brings it back to our minds and our hearts. Exactly. So, yeah. So um, I wanted to also just mention back about uh, journaling. Um, are you familiar with the, the, the idea of, of writing as discovery? Mm. The word heuristic yeah. describes that. Writing as discovery, E.M. Forrester is the one who said, how do I know what I know until I see what I say? Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of people in the writing world would think about that in terms of uh, the poem that they'd write or the fiction. Sure. Um, but what about taking that into our, our journaling? Yes. And so for, for those of you that have not tried journaling and you feel... Um, and that's something my sister did in junior, in, in junior high, you know, the locked diary. <laughs> and she would, you know, take the flowers and press them and the pages. And, um, this is a whole other, other thing. Mm. And if you can imagine uh, that God is so real that he wants to remind you of himself mm. through your own discovery process of writing. So how do I know what I, what I know until I see what I say? Mm. Um, we really encourage you to give that a shot. And, and the thing is, as, as we interview people and they report, you don't have to do any of these things. Right. <laughs> these yeah. are suggestions. You don't have to feel guilty if you're like, oh, I don't want to journal. Then don't journal. Yeah. If you want to try something to expand uh, your, your resources with, with the Spirit of Christ, then give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, we do what we can in faith and uh, no ob- obstacles of duty. That's a big theme of the invitation, yeah. trying to help people step back from the duty and the obligations of, of churchianity. Right, right. So um, I think you, uh, oh, right. And so the question next is then in your writing in these books and being in ministry, and your husband was in ministry this whole yes. time with you. yeah. So you have a, a vantage, a perspective on the church. Um, what would you say is the largest obstacle that keeps people from a deeper life in God? Mm. I, mean, I, I had an immediate um, answer, and I, I'm not going to second guess that. It was busyness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are addicted mm-hmm. to our busyness and to our productivity. Mm-hmm. And Every semester, I, I have my students read Glittering Vices by Rebecca DeYoung mm-hmm. about the seven deadly sins. And every semester, they are shocked that it is the the vice of sloth mm-hmm. that disguises itself right. behind busyness and distraction. It's that we are hiding, we're avoiding mm-hmm. God, we're avoiding the hard work of love, the hard work of transformation mm-hmm. by busying ourselves yeah. in activity, even activity for God. Wow. That is going to take most folks a while to unpack that, the relationship of sloth. We normally think of that in terms of the couch potato. Right. Who can't get up and do anything. Look at me. No, I'm not a couch potato. Look at all that I'm doing. Yes. But you're saying that actually in all of this doing, we're not attending to the becoming in Christ. That's right. So what would you, how would you encourage people to go at their busyness? What do we do then? Yeah couple different things, spiritual practices that I think can, can strike a death blow um, to sloth. For me, as I look at my own life and how God has shaped and formed me, the practice of Sabbath mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. So 24 hours a week, I am declaring that God can run his universe without my help. Mm-hmm. So it's an, it's an act of faith for mm-hmm. one thing. But it's, an other, it's a way of responding to God's generosity. When we look at the reasons why God gave us Sabbath, and he gave us two First, that we are created in His image, a God who works and a God who rests, Mm -hmm. and that this is part of His gift to us. And secondly, He called the Israelites to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, um, to remember that they were once captive in Egypt and they are no longer slaves but free. Mm -hmm. And Josh, how often we live our own lives as captives Mm -hmm. to our schedules, Mm -hmm. to our productivity, Mm -hmm. to our desire to be significant. Sabbath is a way to declare, I am no longer a slave. Mm -hmm. I'm free. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to practice the freedom of rest. Mm The other thing I think that we can practice um, if we recognize that that sloth is um, a vice, a stronghold for us, because it hides behind busyness, it also hides behind distraction. Mm-hmm. So um, the invitation to unplug, mm-hmm. 
Um, Paul talks in first Corinthians about how all things are lawful, Mm. but not all things are helpful. And he refuses to be enslaved by anything. Mm. When I think about the ways that we are enslaved to social media, Mm -hmm. um, to our cell phones, to our gadgets, they're all lawful things, but Mm -hmm. they aren't necessarily helpful Mm -hmm. to our soul. They aren't necessarily life-giving. So it might be a practice of a fast where I say, you know what? I'm not going to check email first thing in the morning. I'm Mm going to turn my computer off at nine o'clock at night. Um, whatever that is, but to, to be mindful of those things that, you know, the Song of Solomon talks about the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. What are the little foxes that are spoiling the vineyard, uh, the life with God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, unplugging is the only way to practice Sabbath. Yes. So the, and, and we can think of Sabbath in this broader sense than just Sunday. And I think that's what you were yeah. hinting at. This is uh, from Abraham Joshua Heschel. And his whole idea is that we actually practice Sabbath not as a as a pit stop, mm. take a break so we can go back into all the insanity of our business, right, right. but that we actually practice this this high day of our week of rest, and it's really biblically a celebration of yes. being in God, so that we then take Sabbath into everything else yes. we do. So it's it's crazy that that kind of real celebration in the kingdom means that he is our king. He is the one who provides for us. He's the one who heals us. He's the one who feeds us so that we can then rest mm-hmm. and not have to kill ourselves, yes. proving ourselves right. to ourselves and others. And yeah. we can live in trust. One of my favorite authors calls it menuah. It's actually, he doesn't call it, but he refers to mm. the Hebrew word of menuah, which is a Hebrew for tranquility. Mm. And I think that the anamana poetic yes. of manua. We all need tranquility, mm. and we're not getting it. Right. Uh, and so we have to unplug. And I would encourage people to think about just mess around with one little part of your rhythm. If it's emails, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge way. Decide maybe for a week you're not going to check email as soon as you normally would, or right. just the, the internet at all. You're yeah. not going to pick up your, your, your smartphone or maybe flip it and say, it's the hour before you go to bed. Mm. Uh, you park your, your cell phone down. Um, for me, it's the kitchen downstairs, yes. wherever your kitchen is, and just don't take it into the bedroom and use a real alarm clock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just turn it off. Tell your soul. I don't need that. Yeah. I have life in, in other places yeah. or go to bed earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's interesting. The, um, is it James Brian Smith, the good and beautiful God, yes, yeah. you know, I'm getting to know that material. Um, the very first spiritual discipline he recommends for people mm-hmm. rest yeah. <laughs> and unplugging yeah. is go to bed. That's right. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, um, I want to thank you for our time here. Um, oh, thank you, Josh. This has been very rich and rewarding, and I'm sure it will be helpful for others. And especially, I just want to make a point that I, I want to have women in these conversations. Mm. The theological world, uh, I was I was listening to some Sarah Coakley, who's mm. a, a wonderful theologian, but when it comes to um, the spiritual realm, um, we need women's voices, and what I hear in you is nurturing Mm. Um, just even the tone of your voices and the way that you've written your books. Um, we don't have that in the church largely. Mm. I don't know if we have very many pastors in the sense of shepherds who know how to nurture and care for people. Mm. So I want to champion the voices of women in ministry who can help us care for the soul and yeah. care for each other's souls. So that seems to be at the soul of, of your ministry. Thank you. I appreciate that very and much, Josh. I hope we can do this again at I some point. I would love to. So. It's been a delight to be with you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Sharon Garlow Brown and her books show us that the journey to God is slow, often tedious, but richly rewarding. Let me add a little bit more context to explain my appreciation of her. It seems like every other week I find a new article online trying to explain why it is that millennials are leaving the church. And there are many writers and thinkers who are trying to understand what is happening to Christianity today. 
Many well-intentioned people have come up with different ways of keeping the kids and the grandkids from disappearing into the world. When I was in high school and college, the focus was on a robust youth ministry. And more recently, the pressure is placed on worship leaders and large rock bands to offer interesting and relevant music. For the moment, let's never mind the question about who is and who is not coming to church. Instead, consider what do you know about the journey toward God? Sharon describes this journey with her character Hannah walking a labyrinth. As Hannah followed the winding path toward the center, she thought about everything the Spirit had already revealed, her false self rooted in productivity, her need to be needed, her hiding behind busyness. She thought about the death of her images of God, her disappointment and unconfessed sorrows, her anger, bitterness, and regrets. And now that she had actually spoken her family's secret aloud, where was that path going to lead? She kept going back and forth, back and forth. It was so easy to become distracted by the twists and turns along the way, so easy to lose sight of where she was going. Where was she going? She was going deeper, deeper into the heart of God. She needed to stay focused where this journey was taking her, especially when the path seemed disorienting and circuitous. She needed to pause and remember where she was going. So she stopped walking the path and turned to face the middle of the labyrinth. That was her destination, being held in the heart of God, knowing herself as the beloved, understanding at a deep level that the flowers really were for her. And even when she had her back turned toward the center, even when she couldn't glimpse the goal, she needed to stop turn and face the middle. She needed to stop and remember that the Lord was inviting her to comprehend the breadth and length, height and depth of Christ's immeasurable love for her. Without knowing that there is an invitation to a deeper, deeper center in God's love, our journey will be more like a confusing maze with tricks and turns to trap us with no real end in sight. Ours is a journey with a definite direction toward a prized center in God. And if we move past youth ministry, beyond the large worship and production teams, even if we move beyond good preaching and Bible studies, beyond correct theology and our most creative liturgies and outreach efforts, all of these things may be good in their own ways, but they're not the final destination. I fear that we struggle within the church. We lose millennials and others because we confuse our means with our ends. In the language of Dallas Willard, we are more interested in the vessel rather than the treasure. Or in the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, we clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside. So again, Sharon's gift is to inspire us with these stories of four women who join in the work of the Spirit to attend to their inner life in God. Each woman is for us a rough sketch of a path toward God that we can find ourselves in. You can find more about Sharon and her books at sensibleshoes.com. On January 13 and 14, Sharon is leading a Harderwijk women's retreat. You can visit harderwyk.com for more information about that. And we are keeping Sharon busy co-leading another retreat with me. February 7th and 8th. It's a contemplative prayer retreat especially designed for church leaders. 
we're encouraging retreatants to practice silence and solitude. Sharon and I will be splitting four sessions of suggested prayer exercises. And she and I will also be offering 30-minute sessions of spiritual direction throughout the retreat. I'm also adding another session on the Enneagram for those who are interested. This retreat will be held at Camp Geneva's new retreat building that I recently visited. It's a nice, comfortable space on Lake Michigan that should do well to warm our hearts during the long stretch of a Michigan winter. So please direct any and all questions or thoughts to me at josh at harderwike.com. Again, that's H-A-R-D-E-R-W-Y-K. And make sure to sign up on your favorite social media site to stay in touch with us. That could be Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or iTunes. And if you especially find the Invitation Podcast helpful, please consider writing a review on iTunes to help us get the word out to others. I don't currently have any more interviews planned. My intention now after three retreats and three interviews is to try a series of five-minute meditations. My intention is to eventually include perhaps you and others friends, pastors, praying people, contemplatives. I want to gather others in the creation of these five-minute moments of prayer and meditation. And I especially want to include my friends in the Muskegon prison in writing and recording. I'm currently in the process of asking the Michigan Department of Corrections for permission to take microphones into the prisons. And as always, it is an honor and a joy to have you listening to and sharing in the Invitation podcast. I pray that you will know in the language of Psalm 4 that Jesus sets apart the godly for himself. And I pray that you will find ways to respond to this invitation to go alone with him and to enjoy his presence. Amen. Amen.